Our ongoing discussions about network modeling and programmability progress today. Our guest has been working with Yang models, Python, and a variety of supporting tools to programmatically install network device configurations, spending time with both Junos and iOS XE. In his detailed, and I mean detailed, series of posts on networkop.co.uk, Michael Cashin has painstakingly explored and explained how to work with network models, showing how they tie to the future of network configuration. In this episode of Priority Q, we discuss many of Michael's discoveries. Now, before we get into this, if you skipped it, you might want to listen to Priority Q episode 111 first, where I discuss Yang, NetConf, and network model standardization efforts in the IETF with Benoit Clace. That would be a fantastic foundation for today's episode. Now, Michael, welcome to Packet Pushers. And in a sentence or two, would you introduce yourself? Thanks, Ethan. Um, hey, everyone. So my name is Michael Cashin, and I'm a network engineer. And I've always, ever since the start of my network engineering career, I've always been interested in automation. I've been automating pretty much everything I could. And I think that's one of the things that got me here. And thanks for having me, guys. All right. So in this series of posts and what cra- captured my attention here, you, you make a big deal about Yang, which, uh, which we talked about with Benoit at Show 111. Um, and uh, folks, there's this series of blog posts. I've got them all linked at packetpushers.net. If you look in the show notes for Priority Q116, uh, or just go to networkop.co.uk, uh, Michael's site, and dig through there to find this series. Uh, Yang is a, a big part of what you spend time working with, Michael. Well, why why Yang at this point? Why did that capture your attention? Yeah, like I said, uh, I've always been interested in automation, and Yang has been the, the holy grail of automation for everyone who's heard of it. So for a very long time, uh, the support of Yang has been pretty much limited to a higher end of the market. So all the big Juniper boxes and then Cisco boxes, they they had some support of Yang because obviously because of the big push from the service providers. But the other side of the market, the, the smaller, the enterprises and the data centers, they've always lacked that. And, and people were resorting to doing like what they do now with uh, the, the like the Ansible and they used to write templates of configuration and then going through Ansible and instantiating them and sending them through SSH, which is very, that's a lot of tedious work. It's very error prone and it's very ineffective. So I guess Yang has promised to um, to solve all these problems at once. And for, for a very long time, it was never supported on majority of the devices that I've been dealing with. So when I heard that iOS 6 got Yang support in and I think it was mid-2016 or late-2016, I got very excited because I've, I've been building Cisco networks for quite some time before that, and I know that iOS 6 is like a dominant network operating system in enterprise market nowadays, especially the ones that deploy Cisco. And I heard about it, and I thought I'd need to give it a go and have a look around and see what I can do with it. And maybe mm. I can potentially replace it, all what I've been doing with Ansible so far, I can replace it with Yang. Okay, so we're going to have to get some people oriented on what some of these tools are. Maybe we should start with, this goes back maybe two, three years. You used to hear news talking about NetConf and Yang. They were always said in the same breath. Um, and you've mentioned in your post NetConf and RESTConf uh, and Yang. Yep. Can you compare what those things are so that people understand what Yang is versus NetConf or RESTConf? So there's, there's, there's several ways to describe and approach that. I think everyone, when when... You talk about Yang and ask for a, the definition of it. Everyone just says, oh, Yang is just a data modeling language. And I understand for a lot of people that means everything and nothing at the same time. So what is a data model? I don't know. But I think there's two ways to look at it. First, 
when this whole concept of programmatic configuration and then operational state extraction from the device appeared, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, the only structured configuration format that people had as a reference was Junos, because Junos stores everything in, in an XML sort of format. And because that was taken as, as a sort of reference point, they, the people thought, okay, so how can we model that? And they, they came up with Yang. Yang effectively initially was a way to model an XML document. So whatever you have, like the nested data structures, lists, or everything else that you have in XML, Yang was designed to model it. And then, and then once you've modeled that, once you have that XML document, uh, you need to deliver it to the device somehow. So for that, that people invented NetConf, and then later on RESTConf. So NetConf is basically, it's just an SSH wrapper that with a couple of special functions that allow you to either send the, the XML to the device or retrieve the XML from the device or do some basic calls. But the, the good way to think of it is that NetConf is like an SSH session to the device if you compare it with the traditional way of configuring stuff, right? So when you need to configure a BGP, you log in via SSH to your box of your choice, and then you go to configure, router, BGP, blah, neighbor, blah, 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 remote AS, blah. That SSH part of that whole experience is what NetConf, NetConf accomplishes. The router BGP neighbor and all these commands are what Yang is doing. So it, it models the, the, the configuration structure. It tells you that for the configure BGP, you need to first have the router and then BGP and then followed by AS number. So that structure is what Yang is doing and modeling. And that conf is basically just shifting beats between yourself and, and, and the box. Yeah, and you you mentioned Junos. Uh, I mean, I did some Python work with Junos, and you had to turn netconf on. There was some command you had to set that up so that it was uh, available to you, and then using the PyEZ library, you could uh, send configuration commands from a Python script. Uh, and again, netconf was that um, uh, your, your pathway, the way you got those commands from uh, one to the other, shifting bits, uh, as you put it. So. Yep. Okay. Now, something else you mentioned along the way here, uh, XML. Um, and I think that's all you've mentioned so far as far as uh, structured data, a way that you could wrap data in some kind of a format and make it clear to the parsing device what, what these values are and what they're for. Uh, but we've also got JSON. Uh, we've also got YAML that come up pretty frequently in these kinds of discussions. So are XML, JSON, and YAML effectively the same thing, different ways, or are there more subtleties to it? Um, what's your take? So very, very roughly, they're the same things. They are structured data serialization formats. So if you have, I don't know, any structured data uh, that you want to serialize, you can either put it in XML, JSON, YAML, or any other, I don't know, formats like this protobuf from Google. Google yeah. It doesn't matter. So, so all these are a way to represent a structured data on in a piece of string. So Yang initially was, like I said before, Yang was modeled based, uh, was designed to model an XML document. So most of the Yang implementation that you see nowadays and NetConf, they will at least support XML, most of them. And then when, then when RESTConf came along, which is a REST-based equivalent of NetConf, which is basically using HTTP verbs to or HTTP requests to hmm. accomplish the same well, thing the, that NetConf does. The original does. version of NetConf was to use Beep, which was NetConf over SSH. And um, over the years, we've decided that using SSH to talk to devices is not as effective as using HTTP. So today we use 
yang, which is fundamentally net convert of HTTP. I'm a that's a gross generalization. That's kind of how I summarize it. Yeah, so netconf nowadays, you'll see it still uses HTTP. You can use SOAP, uh, SOAP, or I think HP uses some variant of SOAP for their programmatic provisioning. But nevertheless, like, so if you enable uh, netconf on uh, iOS 6C or Junos nowadays, it will be wrapped in SSH, nevertheless. So REST is a slightly different beast, right? So it, it uses HTTP requests, and it accomplishes the same thing that netconf does. But... What it does is because it's HTTP, you, you can effectively say that that the payload that I'm sending, and you can specify how it's encoded. So you don't actually have to send XML only. Well, now you can say, oh, I'm actually sending Yang payload that's encoded as JSON. So there's an RFC out there. Well, I don't know if it's a draft or if it's a full-blown RFC that describes how to map JSON to the Yang constructs because you need to have some sort of one-to-one -one yeah. correspondence between what you have in Yang and JSON. And then YAML is is another format that's widely popular nowadays. And I think the major, the biggest reason why it's popular is because it's so syntax light. So there's there's very few curly braces. Oh, there's no curly braces at all there. It's all indentation based, and and because of the some of the big tools like Hansible, they support YAML throughout. I think it contributed towards the popularity of YAML. At this stage, I don't think there's a there's a standard that defines how YAML maps to the Yang constructs. So, like, I don't know how container maps to YAML dictionary or list or whatever. But nevertheless, so JSON and YAML are very similar. JSON, YAML, Yang are all just ways of formatting data, right? XML, yes, yes. So it and you know, so uh, Yang is XML formatting. JSON is just a you know JavaScript object no notation which says. JavaScript, if you write a lot of JavaScript, you tend to sort of want to write your data formats in the same way that JavaScript would. And YAML is yet another markup language. And again, this is just a very simple form of marking up data. So you can understand fields, records, you know, yep. data sets, you know, that sort of stuff. So all of yeah, these things are functionally the same in the same way that uh, SNMP is a data format. It defines a structure and a way to access a variable inside of a data set. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the only, the only, the only exception is that you mentioned that Yang means XML. It doesn't necessarily mean XML. It was based on XML initially, yeah. but it is pretty. Uh, like it, there's a there's a very uh, big, big uh, the, there's a lot of abstraction between XML. So Yang by itself does not mean XML, even though it is modeled based on XML. The the structures, the data structures in Yang, they, there's basically there's only a few basic ones like container and list. Uh, they can be mapped to anything like JSON, YAML, XML, you name it, protobuf, and and in that sense, so Yang stands aside, and XML, JSON, YAML, you can put them in the same bucket and say, yeah, you can just yeah. pick whichever one you yeah. like, and yeah. it's not going to make mm -hmm. a difference. Yeah, I mean the reason that uh, for the the reason that NetConf is attractive or was attractive when it was started back in the early 2000s. So you got to remember that everything in networking is at least 15 years old before it gets anywhere. Um, and so NetConf was sort of designed in a time when XML was the format du jour. And the reason that we like XML is it's very easy to fetch it using a script. And uh, whereas SNMP is very hard to fetch when you, you can only fetch one value at a time. You can't fetch an entire MIB with a single request. And so XML is, people say it's human readable, but it's not. What it really is is machine readable because you can, you know, you can say go and fetch this thing a whole bunch of XML comes back, which is a structured data format. And then you can just feed that into an array in your Python or your JavaScript, 
and boom, there's a populated array, you know, two-dimensional array fields across the top vertically and horizontally. And that's, Which you can that's, do with JSON and YAML exactly the same. It's just it's much more readable to human beings, I think. Exactly right, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, and the other thing about JSON and YAML was that XML is very, very fat. It's full of all these, you know, markup commands, and they get very wordy, and typing it is really quite problematic. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then they have namespaces and all this. Weird, and so people just said, you know what, I just don't need any of that rubbish, and hence YAML. Which just said, I don't need any of that XML rubbish. That was designed in an era when big fat computer science, IBM, you know, everything was designed for, you know, multi-billion dollar companies and it was going to be structurally sound for the entire future of the human race. And everybody went, you know what? We're not solving human race size problems here. We're just trying to exchange data between <laughs> two systems. And so XML is not really popular these days for those reasons. Just to give you a yeah. bit of context or a bit of history, yeah. Michael, what uh, what data format did you end up working with the most, or, or, or preference that you have? Um, so the the whole goal, as you will see uh, from my series of posts, I was trying to come up with some sort of um, YAML converter into XML, so you can define a Yang data structure as YAML, and then it will automatically get pushed into the device through some of the scripts and tools that I've used. But so I think YAML is sort of very because it's all popular and it's all mm. uh, very lightweight in terms of syntax. It's 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 very it's very good to use. But now, after I've done all that and after I've done some very complicated Yang models, what I found is that you need to be very careful with YAML. Like one little mistake, if if you type four spaces instead of two indentation, it can screw up everything. And it's so hard to find that little difference where you put like two additional spaces. So I'm starting to have like second thoughts about YAML being a very good choice for specifically for Yang serialization. Maybe JSON is a better choice because it clearly you can clearly see based on this curly braces where the object starts and where it ends. So it takes so the white space think, makes the white space problem go away because you've got yeah, a different yeah. sort of delimiter where the braces. Yeah. So I think I think the the question the answer would be if the data structure is simple if there's not too too many too much too many nesting inside it. Then, then YAML is going to be a good choice. If if it's very complicated, then then JSON will probably be preferred. Mm. But as we'll talk later, again, there's there's syntax highlighters for all the major uh, text editors that you can use, and these guys make your life so much easier that you you don't have to think about this indentation anymore. Mm. Now, going back to Yang, um, this this is a question that's uh, come up. I asked Benoit Clays this in Priority Q one eleven. Do you think that operators are going to need to care about Yang very much? And just for those of you that haven't listened to 111, Benoit's position was he hoped Yang would kind of disappear and you wouldn't really have to think about the Yang model itself overly much. That, that would be more of a developer sort of a tool. Uh, Michael, based on your experience, do, do you uh, agree with that, disagree with that? What's your thought? Yeah, I actually, I absolutely second that opinion because I think that it is important to know what Yang is, and it's important to understand how to read it, and basically to, to yeah, it is important to read Yang, but it is not important to understand all the intricacies of Yang, because I think what we're seeing now is, as more and more vendors, they, they sort of starting introducing Yang support in their different products and data center in, in enterprise, lower ends, ends of the market, I think we'll see more and more tools appear um, like open source tools or I don't know, closed source tools, doesn't matter, hopefully open source, that will help people interact with Yang in a, some sort of 
abstracted way. So people won't have to think about how you actually encode the payload. If it's XML, JSON, YAML, they don't care, right? They, they will, they will, they will say, okay, I, I want to provision a new VLAN, but for the sake of simplicity, or I don't know, a new layer three VPN, and I want to touch this, 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 this PE, and that's all what then you want to care about how it's actually being done, whether it's I don't know, Yang XML, or if it's twenty monkeys typing in commands on the CLI, it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? So, yeah. if, but what Yang gives us is a very like a very formal and reliable way to make configuration changes on the devices. It's no longer uh, like uh, set, send a whole bunch of text and then hope that everything gets accepted. And we've seen in uh, in the last few weeks uh, where like some of the Nexus products, I think they have some weird bugs where they wouldn't accept um, the configuration. If you paste in configuration that would be too long, they they will not they will like randomly drop some of the lines or something like that. So. So Yang promises to to solve all these problems, and in a way, as as, a, as an underlying engine for network automation, I think Yang is the, like I said, the holy grail, the perfect solution for all these problems. Mm. How it's going to be done, XML, JSON, and and what are the tools? It's it's still an open question, and mm. but I think I think yes, I think going forward, that is how network will be automated. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the data format matters little. Whether you've SNMP walked a MIB to get a data set about it, you know, like if you want to get the interface configuration or if you want to do a, get the interface performance, you walk a MIB and there's a whole bunch of variables come back and you just play that in a web page. Whether you've got fetched that via Yang, YAML, Beep, you know, pigeons carrying little beer canisters under their necks as they fly in and, you know, they peck on the <laughs> CLI, who cares how it gets there? So long as when you say, I want to see what's going on inside the router, it doesn't really matter what the data format is. And that's what, when I spoke to Carl Moberg from TLF back before Cisco acquired them, that was his point was you, you don't actually care so much about Yang because you're not likely to spend a lot of your time reading it or even writing the fetching of it. Although, Having said that, the amount of time that people spend debugging poor quality Yang implementations on their network operating systems, like you'd think those apps would work by now, but they don't. Um, you know, you are going to spend a few more years with it before the vendors finally, you know, write an app that actually works, I think. So yeah. try not to get too caught up on Yang as such. It doesn't actually matter in the overall scheme of things. Would you agree with that view? Yeah, I think I think a lot of these problems that you've just described, they are just growth pains because it's so new. And as anything that you it's would expect, it's not new. That, it's been around for a decade. No, no, I mean the the support, right? the actual implementation on yes, the device. Yes, the vendors should have have had implementations for yeah. ten years plus. Yeah. But they really they should have taken them ten years to get a simple Yang representation of their data right. Yeah, but I mean, they, I can only because. To me, as as a as someone who configures networks a lot, to me, having Yang, even if it's so new and buggy, is better than not having it. To me, like I said, yeah. it's a holy grail. When I heard that iOS XC has support, I was so I was not happy because I was not dealing with Cisco anymore. But if <laughs> I was, I would have been happy because yeah. imagine like I was building before that I was on a professional services side of business and I was building networks with like, I don't know, something on the road of hundred hundred access switches. And every switch I needed to produce configuration. I used to do these templates and ginger and, and going through a lot of pain and, and making sure that if you screw up some one little bit and then screws up everything and yeah. chasing bucks, it's all that was painful. I used to do it in Excel a lot, use text yeah. manipulations in oh, Excel. Excel yes, a bunch yes. of, you know, it's yeah, very but, common but, because but Excel's the tool you've got available and you're not allowed to install 
a Python <laughs> compiler on your local machine. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. 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 Hmm. <laughs> um, so if we, so, if we don't if we don't care about Yang as such, or eventually we don't have to care about Yang, you know, yes, maybe we want to read it. Um, so how are we going to consume it? And we mentioned tools. TLF just came up. Um, Open Daylight uh, seems to be pretty big on Yang models. Uh, just I'm looking at these tools as the intended way that we're going to consume Yang. Uh, and actually, we, I don't think we've talked about Open Daylight yet. What What is your take on that, uh, Michael? That was part of your blog series. You, you used ODL to do some of the configuration. I mean, it's it seems like it's gone, not gone dark exactly, but it's certainly gotten a lot quieter. It used to be a lot of noise and new projects and things coming out of that uh, that group of folks, but uh, but not so much lately. I think I think there's still there's still a lot of work. I've, I'm not like I need to put a disclaimer here. I'm not heavily involved with ODL, and my uh, familiarity with familiarity with ODL is very perfunctory. So I, I've, I've, I'm following them, but I'm not exactly following all the projects because it's grown so big. I'm following some of some of the projects that I'm most interested in. So I think the, the reason why I put ODL in there was because uh, the, the way I saw it, at least from my personal point of view, the, the way to consume Yang initially when Yang was conceived and was starting to be deployed and rolled out on, on specifically on service provider networks was to have a central orchestration element sitting somewhere in, um, I don't know, central center of your network that is aware of all the network devices, of all their capabilities, and is aware of the topology, so how the devices are interconnected. So, so when, when the service provider wants to provision a new, I don't know, new layer 3 VPN service, they won't have to know which devices to go and touch because they, they will say that oh, we want to provision service in, I don't know, U.S. East and U.S. West, and and this orchestrator will know that oh, I need to go and touch PE one two three on U.S. East and four five six on U.S. West, uh, generate new I don't know route distinguishes and all that sort of stuff, and do all the configuration for them. So that I think is how Yang was first introduced into like in into real world in the production deployments. And the good examples of that was the the, the NCS and Open Daylight. I don't know. I'm not 100% sure if Open Daylight was ever used for this kind of things, but I'm I'm sure that it's capable of that because it has this um, topology apps and and Netcom mm. apps and all that and Yang apps and it's all based on Yang models. It's like the the, the godfather of Yang um, in a way. But then on the other hand, I'm seeing that that the that for the remaining part of the networking business, that is may not be the the may not be applicable, maybe not be even possible to get their hands on something like TLF NCS. Mm. And, and in that space, I think that we, we have a big range of smaller open source tools that are either emerging now or will emerge, I don't know, hopefully the next few years that will help like normal people like that, that don't have access to this uh, NCS or Open Daylight in, in a much simpler way as well, because now you don't have to learn ODL because like, let's Let's admit it. ODL is not the simplest thing to to learn, um, and and these smaller tools will be able to just with the basic scripting knowledge in Python give uh, people uh, ability to to use Yang and program network devices using Yang. But just to be clear, the uh, the stuff that you can get that's uh, that's free, if you will, the the more scripting oriented sorts of tools, the things to help you uh, parse through a Yang model and come up with objects that you can act upon. 
pretty early days. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there, but it's still far from mature, I think. I mean, because you're working on, you know, you in one of your posts, you were talking about a recursive uh, algorithm you were writing yourself to try to uh, further this art along. Yeah. So, and that, and I, I mean, I, I just like doing things like that, but I mean, I mean, I would have done it if, even if someone else did it for me, but <laughs> just for the sake <laughs> of exercise. But uh, some of them, like, that's the Pying specifically is is a pretty mature tool. It's been around for for more than I can remember for at least I don't know three years I think. Mm. Uh, so out of all these tools, I think Pying is is the most stable one, and at the same time, it's it's the most sort of affordable because it's based on Python and it's not based on I don't know Go or C plus plus or some of the less popular languages. So more people know Python than any other language I think, especially mm-hmm. in the networking world. And yes. and so this tool is is pretty pretty stable. And if you'll see, say for some of the uh, things that you mentioned, how to generate Python bindings out of Yang model, so the Pying bind plugin, it is it hasn't been updated much in the last couple of years. So there's there's been some bug fixes, but most of the features have been introduced at least a couple of years ago. So that's when the active development sort of stopped, and they they've sort of traversed to the Sort of just just a back back fixing bug fixing phase. So, but the, 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 there are a wide variety of tools now that are appearing and that are still open source, but they are pretty new. Like YDK, for example, that that I think Cisco are delivering. Not I think, but I know that Cisco are delivering that or sort of developing that. And there's there's Napalm Yang that um is being developed at the same time. So I think this this up and coming. Um, Sort of surge of this new tools appearing. It's 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 a good thing. It's because more and more devices start supporting Yang, and more and more people can actually use Yang to 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 program devices. And again, these tools, uh, by and large, allow you to programmatically interact with uh, some end device using the Yang model as the arbiter in the middle. I'm waving my arms around, and no one can see this. Um, so, so, so the tools, since you can't interact with Yang directly, that's not what it's there for. You need this tool that gives you an object you can do something with. Um, yep. and, and Piang, Piang bind plugin, as you mentioned, are one of those ways, uh, YDK can help you there as well, where you're creating uh, classes uh, based on a Yang model and it's all done, uh, done for you. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Right. And, and like I said, it's, it's all. They're all going to go through their growth pains, and it's not going to be uh, like highly efficient and all fully fledged with all the features from from the get go. But just judging from the amount of interest it generates inside Cisco, like how much, how many developers, and how, say for example, YDK has evolved over the last year, because it's only one year old project, but it's already already can do. Um, maybe not, maybe not the same amount of features as Pying Bind, but in some in some respects, even more features. But it's it's already shown a very great progress. So I think give it another year or maybe a couple of years, and it will be as stable as Pying, and it may become a de facto standard and may replace Pying altogether. Okay, now the you have a. In, in your blog post series, you have several devices that you worked with, and I wanted to discuss some of those and then get into maybe some of the more specific things that you did uh, working with those specific devices. We've been kind of level setting so far, and, and, and now we're going to move into some of, the, some of the grubby details. So first of all, 
uh, what, what is your tool set that you primarily settled on? We've talked about a lot of things, but was there, uh, you know, like these are the you know half dozen things or so that you ended up using? Yeah. So, so mainly my main tool was my Linux VM. So I mostly because I, my, most of my laptops and desktops are windows based. So whenever I need to use anything has to do with Linux, I need to fire up a VM. So in my Linux VM, I usually have the, the likes of Pyang, um, YDK and and probably some NatConf clients and C client um, and a couple of other libraries. So basically, basically just any any Linux distro on a VM is enough to get you started. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, most of these tools will not going to work with Windows, or it will take a lot of pain to to get them working on Windows. And then to do your um, configuration and do the testing, you needed some kind of a, a virtual network device. Well, that was your choice in this case. So I noticed the Cisco CSR1K and the Juno or the Juniper uh, VMX. Uh, just those two. Did you mess with anything else, like say uh, you know, Cumulus or anything else? Yeah. So just not to give away too much, but all this is um, how to say it um, inspired by the work that I do at work. On my day job, all this blogging, I for the for all my employees listening to this podcast, I'm doing this after work. Uh, but it, it's all it's all inspired from from the work that I do during business hours. And in there, I deal with a with a completely different vendor. It's not Cisco or Juniper, and that vendor has a fully fledged Yang implementation. But unfortunately, they don't have the virtual appliance that hmm. that I can play with. So for for my exploration and working and getting familiar with those tools, I I just picked two simplest choices for me were CSR one K and VMX because they're so easily available. You can pretty much Google for them and third fourth Google link in the Google search is going to give you the, the image. Okay, so we've got uh, a Linux VM. We've got virtual machines that have uh, Cisco CSR one K, for example, VMX. Um, whatever it is that you've chosen to act upon programmatically. Uh, so let's get into your, and then other NC client and, and whatever else, that you, the tools that you need to, to do that interaction. Um, now, w- what's your workflow look like? You know, you've got all these pieces of the puzzle. So how do I, how do I stack them up and actually get something done? Yep. So there's, there's a, Sort of a, a standard, or the way I see a standard way to work with a Yang-enabled device. Uh, so the first thing that you do is you discover what Yang models there are. So with, no, normally, with if we talk about NetConf now, with NetConf, when NetConf establishes session with a device, it exchanges the hello messages. The hello message contains a list of all the Yang models supported by the device. So normally, when you establish an SSH, or sorry, a NetConf session with a device, you effectively discover its Yang capabilities because you get everything back in the home message. So in that is actually something really interesting because it, this is sort of like SNMP in a way. It kind of reminds me of that in, in the sense that um, there are some standard Yang models that can sh- model routing for you or model you know, various things. But then there is also specific Yang models to devices that vendors have created that uh, do let you do other things. Uh, And so therefore, since you can't predict what the Yang models are that are going to be supported on device, you've got to go through some discovery process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And more, more than that. So 
then you may have different, you not may, you'll probably most likely will get a different set of models on different versions of the same software. So going from, if we talk about OSXE, going from 16.4 to 16.5, you will get a, an absolutely different set because we've discussed that earlier, because it's so new and, and vendors are working hard to change things around and making them more optimal. Uh, we're seeing a lot of changes and a lot of churn in the number and the type of models that we're seeing. So I think the trend is to have like a very limited subset of YITF models, some some very basic models, and and at least the, the device's native Yang models. So that's usually that's uh, what vendors have come up with when they don't have anything to on IATF or open config side, or hmm. they won't even use open config anyway, but they don't have any anything on IATF side that they can use and but they still want to model the way you, I don't know, configure DOS, for example, on Cisco. So where do you stick it? You obviously create your own so-called native model and you put it in there. So so yeah, so that's that's a very important step. And it's 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 just a way of understanding what you can potentially do with the device. Now, to complete the discovery, are you just getting sent by the device? Is, is it sending you a, a, like a namespace and then you've got to go to some central repository in the internet somewhere and download it? Or does it actually send you the entirety of the model as a text file? How does that work? So normally it just sends you the, the name of the model with, with, the, with the full URN, your unique resource name or whatever, whatever it stands for. But, uh, and after that, you have two options. Obviously, one of the most straightforward options is, yeah, just start Googling it go to a vendor's website and start looking for them there. But there's, uh, there's, there's another, I think it's RFC 6022, uh, the, the NetConf protocol defines the special RPC called Get Schema. So it's a special call that you can make from your NC client or from your Linux VM. You can, you can request that device that supports that RFC. Hey, can you send me that particular model? Can you send me IETF-IP model? And then the device is going to send in in the response is going to send you basically a wall of text with the Yang model enclosed in that wall of text. So effectively, you can then pass that response and take that model Yang model that text out and store it in a file or I don't know, put it in a memory somewhere. Which I guess so, if you want to, if you want the your script to programmatically handle the entirety of the model, you would you'd sort of want that. You, but it's not very efficient. But I mean, you sort of want the device to be able to send you that model rather than you go, okay, I got to step away here. I got to go out to the internet. I got to fetch this thing. Oh, I found it. Google sent me to the right place and then download the model, which all sounds uh, a bit kludgy. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, and, and normally, so if we go back to say, for example, Open Daylight example. So one of the first things that Open Daylight does when it connects to the device and then exchanges hello messages, it goes and then requests using that get schema RPC, it requests each of the Yang models advertised by the device consecutively. And that's where you start hitting, or I started hitting a lot of problems with iOS XE specifically because some of the stuff that they advertised, they were not available for download and that would effectively fail the device <laughs> to be integrated with Open Daylight. But there's a ways around it. But nevertheless, so that is, yeah, that's the intended way. So when you discover all the Yang models, you can then go and request either all of them or one by one or specific ones that you need or you want to work with and then download them from the device. Okay, so once I've got them, now I've got the model. That means I've got the model, and that's all it really means. I can't do anything with it yet. I've got to get to the point where I can programmatically take some actions against that uh, that model that ser is serving as my reference. So how do I get to that part? This bit is called uh, programming binding creation. So both PyAng 
and YDK or Pying has a plugin Pying Bind, and YDK does it natively. So they both have the the, the ways to generate a, a Python binding out of it. So like a set of classes that you can then create and then set different attributes the way you like them. So so that is one of the first steps. Once you get the, got the model, you feed it to this Pying Bind or YDK, and at the output you get a Python module, a Python file that is saved somewhere on your disk. And then when you go into your, I don't know, Python shell, for example, you can do import and say, for example, if you just downloaded, uh, I don't know, Cisco's BGP configuration, and you can do import BGP, and it imports all the classes that that were created as a, or based on that YAM model, and then you can go and creating your BGP configuration. Just like any sort of Python library you can import, now you've got additional uh, commands and uh, objects that you can act upon that if you hadn't done that import wouldn't be there for you. Python interpreter would have gone, I don't know what you're talking about. Now they're there. Yeah, yep, exactly right. Uh, okay, so how do I know what's available to me um, is another question because typically I would look at Library documentation it would tell me these are all the things that you can do and the actions you can take and you know and so on. But in something like this, where effectively I'm I'm taking a Yang model, dynamically creating these uh, library classes and so on. How do I know what is in there? Yeah, the beauty of this whole process is that your Yang model that you've just downloaded is your API documentation because you can look at the Yang model and and like. Like Benoit said in, in, in your previous podcast, they are pretty human-readable. They were designed to be human-readable. They may be not really human-readable when they're very long and complicated. So if you look at some of the native Yang models that have like all the features of the device just in one single file, these are really hard to read or close to impossible, right? So it's just like, I don't know, six megabytes worth of text, and it's, it's, it's very hard to read it. Yeah. But... Yeah, but there, 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 there's a GitHub repository I found that has gone to the trouble of collecting lots and lots of Yang models, and then uh, the, and then has sorted them by uh, they've grouped them so that this is, has to do with routing in BGP, and then you can dig in, pull out a Yang model, and begin reading it as plain text. And every single one I sampled, I sampled maybe a dozen and began reading through them. They are all again, it's a hierarchical structure. There are uh, fields that you can read. And then very typically there's a goodly description in there written by whoever created the model that tells you exactly what that part of the tree is that you're looking at and what it's good for. Um, so I found everything I sampled and it, there's hundreds and hundreds of models out there. And I only looked at, like, like I said, about a dozen, but readable. Yeah, you bet. Uh, really readable. People have gone to a lot of trouble to make them that way from what I've seen so far. Yep, absolutely. And then there's there's another set of tools that let's call them Yang visualization tools that you can take your Yang model and load it into there. Then it will basically draw upon your screen or somewhere in the web page how this Yang model is constructed. And and you can use say for example, PyYang can generate for you the uh, sort of HTML slash CSS document with that you can like open in your Internet Explorer. I don't know Chrome. Uh, and and then go and you can expand or collapse different containers. You can see what the values are and all that sort of stuff. So there's there's many ways you can you can view that Yang model and understand how it's structured. And certainly there's there's another brute force way. Is if you don't want to read anything, you just you can just go 
and say for example, if I was using IPython, which is um, a Linux special like Python shell that allows you to do auto completion. So you can say if you have like a class and you press dot or and then tab, and it will show you all the available like subclasses or attributes that this class have. So oh. you can you can you can then go and say okay, so what is it? What is this BGP support? Okay, it supports ASN. It supports adding a neighbor. It supports I don't know what are the fast failover external attributes and all that sort of stuff. And you can just go and say okay, so I only need to configure ASN. So okay, this is how I do it, and and basically guess your way through that because a lot of the naming of those variables in in that Python binding they're pretty self-explanatory. Like ASN stands for AS number or neighbor stands for neighbor. <laughs> Configuration success through autocomplete. I love it. As long as you yeah. find a Python shell that can uh, do autocomplete, right, and uh, and knows everything you've got in there, and you just tab your way to a to a lifetime of happiness. That's funny. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> tab your way to a lifetime of happiness. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, uh, okay. So so this allows us then to build a script. Um, that is using objects generated from the Yang library that we know are supported by the device because we actually pulled that Yang model from the device. Um, so now we know we've got these variables that the device is ultimately going to understand. We can now write a script that is setting and populating um, variables, if you will, that are going to get populated back into the device. And the rest of what happens is kind of sort of magic. We don't need to know. I mean, it could be netconf, it could be restconf that's getting the that information to the device. We sort of don't care. Um we yep. really we're just setting the our, our values in whatever way we're doing that, reading from a YAML file perhaps and uh and then sending them to the device. Um what what am I missing? No, it's pretty much right. So it, 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 it's not that's this magical bit that you've just described. It, it, it's not necessarily can be done from the from the Python shell itself. So, for example, pying bind will 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 uh, generate a JSON file, which oh no, yes, you, you, you can basically send it straight away uh, from the same Python shell from the same without exiting the script. But I had to exit because I needed to convert JSON to XML because because of the other problems with JSON and Cisco iOS, but nevertheless, so yeah, you can take whatever the classes that you've instantiated and configured, and then you can tell your, whatever you're working with, the tool that you're working with, hey, I want to produce an XML out of it. It will spit out an XML, and then you can say, okay, I will use my NC client to send that XML and make a, an edit config call to the device and, and send everything that I've just configured to the device. And then Assuming that everything was set correctly, then the device will respond okay, and yeah, it's all done. Well, that, that's the next question then, because one of the advantages of this versus, say, SNMP is you should be able to tell that the transaction, um, everything, all that configuration data that you just sent was accepted by the device and everything's okay. I mean, what if you yeah. do something stupid like set a, you know, an invalid AS number or you know, you build an IPv4 route that's, you know, out of bounds for a, uh, you know, that uh, range of acceptable addresses. Do you get so, a, how does it reject you? Yeah, so that's there's there's a couple of things to mention in that regard. First, the Yang, the, this whole model and language was designed so that you would not be able to even create uh, an XML if you, for example, misconfigured an IP address. So if instead of like 192.168, you typed in something like 
777 right? Something that's outside of the bounds of normal IP address. So Yang was designed so that you would, on the client side, be able to do a lot of these checks so to, to make sure that the that the, all the values that you supply are within the acceptable limits or boundaries. So there's a way you can describe that in a Yang model. So these sort of errors, they should be taken care of on the client side even before sending XML. Because However, the model is going to invalidate your data or, or, or exactly. it is, flip it around on its head. The model, because there are constraints uh, that define what is acceptable in that model, when you put in something that's invalid, at the, again, at the client level, hey, wait a minute, you can't do that. The model says you can't do that. You're out of bounds. Exactly. And so so once you pass those checks and then you send it to the device and then for whatever reason the device doesn't like it, normally it will give you some meaningful response. It will say, for example, that particular command that, um, I can't remember what I had, the problem I had, but um, it will actually give you the, 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 the specific line or specific uh, attributes or leaf or part of the XML that has failed, and it will not apply that configuration at all. So it's uh, Yang on NetConf works as a sort of a atomic changes, makes atomic changes. So if, if any part of this change fails, then it rolls back everything. So so in that in that regard, it's 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 a lot better than than typing everything by hand because because if you screw up one line, then you still got all the other config in there. But with this, you can safely assume that if it, if it got accepted, then everything got accepted, or if it failed, then nothing got accepted. And again, just going back to the process here, you know, we're going to use the Python script to generate this XML file that then maybe we use Python to send the XML file. Maybe we use some other tool, um, you know, curl, whatever. We're going to push uh, that XML file that we've generated out to the device. Uh, and and yep. then now we're dealing with the response from the device, whether it was accepted or not accepted and so on. Yes, correct. Okay. So now let's take a step back from all this for just a moment, because someone could go, this sounds like a lot of pain and suffering for, I don't know what benefit because I can just go to the CLI and bang away and I'm done. What, what do we win here with all of this, Michael? Why, why is this better or is it? Um, because we get to get a chance to use Python. <laughs> no, <but> seriously. <laughs> seriously. Uh, I, 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 think... still, I mean, I'm still baffled by this whole Python. Why Python and not JavaScript? Because half of your life is spent in JavaScript anyway, although you might use Ginger or some other web templating tool. Pick your uh, you, obviously, you obviously never used JavaScript yourself, Greg, because if you had, then you wouldn't have been saying that now. <laughs> yeah, no, JavaScript isn't great, but I can do a lot more in Node than I can in Python. Quite honestly. Um, I don't know. I think you know. There's a there's a there's a I don't know, like a theorem in computer science that it, as long as you can do for loop and while loop, you can basically all the languages <laughs> are equivalent, right? Yeah, so, yeah. No, so you I can, agree. You can, yes. And Python, I, I don't know about Python. It's it's uh, perhaps it's a topic for another discussion. But but seriously, back to your question, Ethan. I think if your network is small enough, if you're like a small enterprise shop with I don't know, half a dozen of switches and 20 VLANs and a default gateway out to, I don't know, provider network, then you probably don't don't need any of that. You don't need automation at all, right? So from that's 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 start from that. You don't need to automate anything because you you set it up once and then maybe you make another change here and there. You do some basic troubleshooting, you maybe collect your logs somewhere on using SNMP, but you don't need anything more than that. But when you go into that, so there's different two two sides to it. There's there's the side that I'm on, like professional services, where you have to configure a lot of stuff and you have to be consistent and you need to potentially 
make changes after you've configured because uh, you've configured something and I, the new requirement comes in, you need to reconfigure, I don't know, BGP peering or filtering and whatnot. Then to do it consistently on a big number of devices, it, if, if I had to do it myself, then it would have been very error prone. And I know I fat fingered so many times, <laughs> like the simplest stuff, like seriously, I once set up an IPsec tunnel and I spent six hours troubleshooting because I had 58 instead of 85 in the third octave. Yeah. And I was looking at the IP address, I was like, it's, yeah, it's all right, but it, it didn't work. And, but maybe not six hours, but I'm exaggerating. But nevertheless, so yeah. these kind of errors, they go away, right? And, and this is very important to me because I can basically say that whatever I've produced is, is reliable. And if it fails, it fails everywhere in the same manner. So it's easy to troubleshoot. On the other hand, from the operator side, I know that that say if if operator if you, they, they're managing relatively big enterprise network and they want to make changes to multiple devices at the same time, then again they can they can use Yang because it is a lot of pain. Maybe the initial pain to get set up and then and familiarize yourself with how it works. But once you get this working and once you get the environment set up and and all the communication channels established then repeating that over and over again. And that's the benefit of automation, right? It's repeatability. So when you need to do this change later on, it, it takes you, I don't know, one-tenth of the time that you initially spent all that you would have spent if you did it manually. You're basically and repopulating you would, a few variables to whatever the appropriate values are for this particular time you need to do the change, and then off you go. You don't have to yeah. rethink all the commands and the process and all the rest. You've You've already defined all that. That's the automation part. Now it's just down to specific values and, and getting them sent. Yeah, and additionally, with the Yang, you get the benefit that not only can you configure stuff, you can also, after you configure, you can go and check if it actually is working. So for example, if I'm configuring BGP peers, and this is the example I had in my blog and in my GitHub account as well. So when you configure the BGP peers, normally, how do you, how do you verify that configuration is successful? You log in a device and you do show IP BGP summary, and you see that the state is up or established, whatever, and maybe you can even issue a ping to make sure that the, the, the routes are being established. So that, that again, that, that manual bit can be taken away, can be, can be again modeled with Yang. So you, you, with Yang, there's another side to Yang, there's an operational models, or it's, it's basically, it's, it's either the same file or a different file, but it's, it's effectively the way you configure BGP, you, you get the same or different, slightly different tree that gives you all the counters, all the state for whatever you've configured. Right. Not and so. Can, can, we've been talking about configuration, but but there is also a flip side where you can, um, rather than push state into the device, you can say, "Hey, device, tell me what your current state is. Operational state is what we're getting at now." Exactly. Exactly. And Yang models define exactly what you can expect in what order in and what are going to be the names of those variables and all that sort of stuff. So. It's very easy for, for me when I've done my change, when I say, for example, provisioned a new BGP peering or a new VLAN, then go again and uh, go ahead and do another NatConf call and say, only this time, can you, can you show me all of the state of all the VLANs and all these uh, 20 switches? And then if the return result is going to be in any way different from what I expect, then I know that I failed. Uh, or if it, it, if, if it succeeds, then I know it succeeded. So it is also a very good way and and the best thing is this is basically yeah, almost same the same you use the same sort of tools it's not different it's just instead of insta instantiating all the values before you send it you don't instantiate anything you just send the the empty sort of value 
roughly speaking, and then you get the response fully populated with all the counters, operational statuses, administrative statuses, and all that. It's, it's also interesting, anyone that's spent any time uh, programming or scripting over the years, now that you've got this data uh, in a variable format, you can do handy little things like write a report, send an email off to the you know five other people on your team that you work with that says, this change just got pushed to the device and it was successful, it's now in production, boom. You yep. could you can you can feed things into your uh, help desk uh, system or trouble ticketing system um, that you now have all this flexibility with your network data to eject it into other places and make use of it. Which yep. you could do some of that with SNMP, but it tended to be kludgy and and, and kind of ugly. Um, I used to get for based on SNMP diff reports where SNMP would be used to pull the current configuration from the device. And, uh, and basically it would just dump a raw text file up to the receiver. The receiver would look at what it had yesterday versus what it had today. Oh, I can send you a diff. That's fine. It's not especially elegant. It's just looking at a config, uh, file and, uh, and then doing a diff on it. Right. It doesn't really tell you yeah. what happened. It doesn't give you any actions. It doesn't really give you, uh, necessarily, uh, just, you just yeah. lose so much detail and so much granularity that you get to keep if you use a programmatic uh, style like what we've been talking about here. And for me, personally, it was a tipping point that the extraction of operational state, it was what convinced me to go from the template-generated config, so using Jinja and Ansible, to go to Yang. Because effectively with Yang models and all that sort of stuff, it's, it's config generation is very similar to how you generate it from templates. But the, the operational state, status extraction is... is was so critical to me because I didn't want to do any of the screen scraping or SNMP that you've just described. I wanted something reliably that something that would reliably tell me if my BGP peer is up or not. And and because if if Yang didn't have that, I would probably I don't know I would, probably wouldn't be as excited as I'm now. But I think this is <laughs> but you can't very but you can't bit. even try. I mean, the big story, of course, is that even if you could do it at the CLI, you did talk about the CLI there. Is that from version to version of code, the CLI might change. And there's no yep. way the vendor doesn't, you know, they might put a space in where before there wasn't. And if you're parsing the CLI character by character, that kills you. Yeah. Or yeah. it might kill you. You know, there's but, a whole bunch of data format advantages around it. Thankfully, there's there's heaps of tools out there now, open source tools, um, yeah. um, that that do this. And they, they have very smart regular expressions. Yeah, Napalm is your Napalm. Napalm, NTC, Ansible, and, and some other stuff. So... These sort of help you a lot, but then again, they they only work for what they've been configured. So because they're all based on these regular expressions, right? So someone needs to see it and create a regular expression before and then test it to make sure it works on, I don't know, two or three different operating system but versions. They're, like they're you transitional said. tools, uh, really, yeah. I think. While we get to a point where these programmatic <laughs> interfaces are more reliably yeah. sending us structured data. Yeah. We're five years in and there's only another 20 years of the transition to go. <laughs> it's funny, Michael, before you said heaps of tools and I heard you say hipster tools. It's like, oh, hipster network. Oh, he said heaps of tools, right? Right. I was, I was excited for a minute there. It's going to grow my beard. It's going to be awesome. Uh, well, they can well, be called hipster tools, yeah, because yeah. so, so few people use them. That, yeah. Well, some of these some of these heaps of tools are uh, do simplify things. I mean, uh, if, if you're a little gun shy here and everything we've talked about sounds kind of heavy, um, you know, you've mentioned Ansible. Is that a good place to start? Yeah, I think uh, Ansible is 
becoming a de facto standard for network automation for for networking in general because no no other configuration management system or platform is is capable of i don't know has support for so many devices and different vendors and i think it's it's kudos to all the ansible team and who develops it for them but uh, i think at this stage it's still very li limited to like like what we've just described it's 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 all basically pushing big big walls of text into the device and maybe getting some text back from the show command and passing it somehow so it's 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 somewhat limited but i think i think ansible is like python it's it's so easy the very low entry threshold people don't need to set up too many things like with chef or puppet and you can just have like like i've just described one single vm install ansible pip install ansible and you can start start using it i i got, i'm gonna have to spend some time with um, um i am very intrigued by the notion of pulling down a yang model and then having it generate uh, or having the the python script then generate a library for me that i can act on you know, and so on. I'm going to investigate IPython. I had not heard of that before, um, to, so I was not aware that there was an autocomplete uh, opportunity there um, that I could take advantage of in a, in a scenario like this where maybe you're just that lazy and don't want to have to dig through the model <laughs> to figure out what the classes are you're supposed to be acting on. Um, that's, all, that's all really uh, interesting stuff to me. Uh, you know, another point here that we haven't made is we're talking about human beings interacting with these scripts and doing this automation, but I think there's another point worth making, which is a lot of this um, programmatic interfaces being provided to network devices is something that's going to be used by other software you know, for us. And as uh, the hyperconverged movement, um, the uh, network automation via something larger, an orchestration tool like OpenStack or Kubernetes um, is perhaps going to be taking advantage of that capability within the network that maybe we won't have to see, but it's another place that the automation is going to be happening. It's going to be happening for us at, a, at an even higher and more abstracted level. Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree. In some, maybe not in all areas of enterprise networking, but some, especially the data center where having a central element managing your whole data center or part of your data center is sort of considered okay. Uh, that That's where I think, yeah, we'll... we'll Hopefully, we'll see a lot of it. And so, we, we, yeah, we're not talking about the service provider market at all here because they've been doing this for for, for a long time, right? Hmm. But but for the enterprises, yeah. So I think data center is going to be one of the first ones. And and um, perhaps with iOS XE, we'll see more and more of that in um, in just normal enterprise networks like like your I don't know campus campus network with lots of lots of switches. Well, Michael, this has been a great show. Thanks for taking the time to share with us. And again, networkop.co.uk is Michael's blog. And where else can people find you on uh, online, Michael? The best place would be my website, networkop.co.uk about page. That's where I have all my up-to-date contacts. It's usually either LinkedIn um, or or Twitter. So I'm not very like I don't I don't tweet a lot on Twitter apart from my updates from my blog posts. But nevertheless, I'm, I'm sort of lurking there in the background somewhere. So my Twitter handle is network underscore OP. Um, and my LinkedIn, I think, is just network OP in one word. Uh, thanks once again for taking the time to join Packet Pushers today. Uh, I'm Ethan Banks at EC Banks. Uh, Greg is at Ethereal Mind, and this has been the Packet Pushers uh, podcast. You can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. 
You can follow the show on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Uh, we have a company page on LinkedIn. Uh, you can like us on Facebook. And uh, we'd really appreciate if you would rate us on iTunes. Last but not least, remember that too much technology would never be enough. Boom. Huh. Okay. Nerdy, nerdy, nerdy.